Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and I have two guests joining me today. Jasmine's not here, but we have Susan Sintra, who is running for Senate in the 34th Senate District. That's Senator Madison County, also involved, uh, includes part of Fayette County. She's going to be on talking about her campaign, but also um, talking with me a little bit about the news. Most of what we talked about was the special session that lasted a couple of days, three days in, in last week. Oh, they passed a single bill we talk about what's in it we talk about our reactions to it what might have been missing uh things that we wish had been included and what we think um they might need to take on in the regular session next year also had a couple of quick hits i talked about with her um but but that's what we talked about in that part of the show and then we talked about her campaign a lot of the same sorts of questions she's awesome she is uh an educator she works at madison central high school she's an english teacher she's also the president of the madison county education association so uh talk to her about that what it's like serving in those roles and also running for state senate so we talked about that with with her so definitely check that part out and then we also spoke with teresa barton who is a different senate candidate she's up in uh northern kentucky all the way down to frankfurt senate district 20 uh stretches all the way from boone and kenton counties all the way down to franklin county where she um she has a long history in public service she was elected twice as the judge executive in franklin county i think she said the first time she was elected was 1998 so she talked about um, serving in that role uh, back then uh, and then also she was in the executive uh, branch under in the Fletcher administration actually in the office of drug control policy we talked a lot about why she took that role she shared a really important story uh, about the loss of a family member and how that led to her taking on that job we talked about how her service uh, you know which she concluded her public service her initial public service in, in 2008 and what it was like serving then and, and how that might apply to, to the job she's looking to be elected to now in 2022. Really great conversations, both of them. So I'm really glad to bring them to you. So without uh, any more delay, let's get to my conversation with Susan Sintra. Susan Sintra is the Democratic candidate in the 34th Senate District centered around Madison County. It also includes a bit of Fayette County. She's currently an English teacher at Madison Central High School and has spent nearly two decades in the classroom. She's a three-time graduate of Eastern Kentucky University and is the president of the Madison County Education Association. She's also the mother to four children. So Susan Sintra, welcome to My Old Kentucky Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being here. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. I guess I'm thrilled to have you because it's just me this week. And uh, we're also, in addition to like doing an interview with you later, we're just going to do the news and you're going to be filling in for Jasmine in this part. So that, that'll awesome. be great. Um, so we'll, we'll start by talking about um, the special session, which right. has come and gone. Um, did you track much of this as it was going on in Frankfurt? Yeah, it, I mean, everything was happening so quickly. I would try and watch during classes, but it was our first week back to school. So I would try and get caught up in the evenings. But yeah, it was really fast, which is not something that they normally are. So that was refreshing. Yeah. And that's one of the things I kind of wanted to talk about is like pretty clear that they had a plan before they started about what they wanted to do. And they just kind of executed on it. So here's kind of the details of what happened. This The special session kicked off on Wednesday a week ago. Jasmine and I talked about it very briefly. Uh, and then it just it actually ended on Friday. So just a couple days later, it, and it passed a single bill that provided $213 million in relief to the Eastern Kentucky flood victims. Nobody in the House voted against the bill 
bill. I think the vote ended up being like 97 to zero. And I'm sure the vote modifications that are kind of coming later will push that to 100 to zero. And then only John Schnickel voted against the bill in the Senate. And he gave his reasoning for opposing it as procedural. Um, they did the thing. If you go into the legislature, you'll learn a lot more about this. But it is one of those things where they, they do like simultaneous readings in the House and Senate. And they're never they're not super clear as to whether or not that's technically legal. Um, right. and John Schnickel does not think it is. So that's why he, he voted against it. So anyways, uh, the, the bill passed with very little opposition and none that's centered around the actual what's in the bill. Mm-hmm. What's actually in the bill is $115 million in direct aid for groups like local governments, utilities and state agencies uh, and school districts, as well as $45 million for road repair, $40 million for wraparound services for school children and their families. That includes things like transportation and mental health counseling. And then about $13 million for water system repairs. Everything but the water system repairs are coming from the federal, are coming from the rainy day fund. And those water system repairs are actually coming from the federal infrastructure bill. So, you know, Susan, uh, you know, I don't know if we, me and Jasmine have obviously been talking about this much. And I mean, as somebody who lives in Kentucky, you've probably seen um, lots of stuff about the devastation down in Eastern Kentucky. Um, But I mean, what are your thoughts about like whether or not this is enough, whether you think that this is a step in the right direction? What are you, what are your thoughts around the, the bill as as it as it stood um, in in Frankfurt, uh, you know, over the past week, I think I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. Something that we needed to do, and glad that we went in the in, were able to do that without any you know major opposition. Um, I do think that the the housing part is a little bit concerning, as we've got several folks who are um, you know don't have any homes whatsoever right now and they're starting to get and I heard that they're starting to get the FEMA trailers up and and that's starting to happen but it's a slow go and as things are starting to uh, get cooler you know we want to make sure that our folks are taken care of but I do think it's a start in the right direction and and glad that it was not a contentious bill glad yeah. we came together on that one yeah absolutely uh, and, and you did mention the housing piece and I did want to talk about that as well um, yeah, you know, the, the bill didn't face a lot of opposition. There was like this whole kind of like bipartisan good feeling that was going on around. But there was a lot of uh, sentiment that there should have been more that was done. Um, on the Democratic side, uh, Angie Hatton, who's a representative from down in southeastern Kentucky, represents Letcher County. Um, she said, uh, quote, whenever possible, we should pull ourselves by, up by our bootstraps, but our bootstraps just wash down the creek. Can't even find them right now. So that was, uh, that was a nice quote from Representative Hatton. Um, on the Republican side, things were a little bit more serious. I think uh, Senator Brandon Smith, who represents Hazard, which, you know, was hit very, very hard, Perry County down there. He put forth a $50 million amendment about housing. And I think that's what you're referencing just a second ago. This was opposed by the state GOP leaders and the Bashir administration, who said that additional housing assistance, this $50 million would put some of the federal flood assistance at risk. Um, Like you, I was a little confused about this i didn't know where that uh, op- like wh- where that rule came from what the mm-hmm. mechanism was that that made it so that this um relief wouldn't have been available if we'd have spent this extra 50 million dollars it doesn't seem like smart for the rules to be like to exist like this and who who right. is who is it that's in the you know federal government that's going to be saying no you can't have this additional flood relief if you spend 50 million dollars more on housing um right. it, it seems bad i mean it seems stupid i don't know i i i haven't seen i haven't seen anybody justify the reason why i would be interested in seeing them provide that rationale um and and just personally i think that we should have just put that 50 million dollars in it or just even more because like you mentioned there are long-standing housing issues really across the whole state and but especially in the midst of this flooding and this devastation where people have lost everything um and you know i've heard stories about people 
you know, where they live down in southeastern Kentucky are like in rented trailers where they pay just a couple hundred dollars or even just like a hundred dollars a month. That's yeah. just very low housing cost. And that type of housing is very marginal in the first place. And they probably isn't going to come back. So where are these people going to go? Where are they going to live? That's just an open question. And, and you know, that that extra money that we kicked in would have gone a long, a long way to do it. So, yeah. Um, did you hear anything about like the reasoning why the housing wasn't uh, available or, or what's going on there? No, I I haven't heard that yet. And I, but I, I, I wonder, I would, I too would like to see more of that rationale. I haven't had a chance to dig into it, um, to look that up, but I, I definitely think that when we go into session in, in January, that will absolutely be part of it. But uh, it's the question is whether or not there's enough there to take care of everybody in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I hope that there is, but yeah, it's definitely, I, I would like to see what that was, but again, I don't know, uh, what that reasoning is, but I do what I've learned from this whole experience is how much red tape there is. So there is always a, a loophole or a, a string that is being pulled from some some end, and so trying to figure out where those all connect is is always an interesting process. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, there have been a lot of nightmare stories about FEMA and like people getting their their relief rejected yeah. right away, or or it coming in at like a thousand dollars when you lost your entire home or something like that. Exactly. Which, yeah. Yeah, that's really really a problem. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, we have the money. We have uh, more money in in the rainy day fund than we've ever had before. Um, Mm -hmm. But the thing is, we also are just facing significant housing issues across the state. I mean, I'm sure they exist in Madison County. They exist Mm -hmm. in Louisville in a a very big way. Um, That's one of the biggest issues I think we have facing our state right now. So, you know, (laughs) whenever the legislature goes back in session, I really hope that there's somebody that can champion housing policy as as something that we, we need to deal with. So during yeah during the 2022 session, there was a lot of griping between GOP leaders and the Bashir administration about the inability to work together. But this bill did seem to come together really quickly and pass without trouble. Like you mentioned, it was like even hard to figure out what was going on while the session was happening just because it happened so quickly. Right. Governor Bashir said, quote, this has been one of the greatest examples I've seen of nonpartisanship or just simply caring for your fellow human being and living out there, living out our shared faith and values, unquote. I do have a question for you about this, though, and that's that, I mean, Democrats very clearly have very little power to, like, make much of an influence. And, and you know, we heard it in in the conversation, we were like, G- Governor Bashir's administration and the Republican admin- or leaders oppose this $50 million. And I wonder, and I have no no way to know one way or the other, if Democrats had more power, if the Bashir administration would have leaned a little bit more into trying to get that extra $50 million into the bill. And, you know, when you make a solution that is kind of nonpartisan, it ends up kind of being like what the Republicans are okay with. Um, and, and I guess, you know, we'll get into your campaign here in a little bit, but just from where you stand, like, did, was this like an appropriate way to work with Republicans? Did it make you feel good that like, we were able to pass this without much conflict that was able to go really smoothly? Or as a Democrat, do you wish that we would have put up more of a fight and try to get a more progressive bill through? I think that in the situation in which we are in and the immediacy of what needed to happen, I think this was the best way to make it, to make it all come together. You never want to, you can't politicize these things when people are suffering as much as they are. We got to figure out how to put our stuff to the side and, and come together. Um, now, if there's more of a, a partisan issue leaning one way, that's stuff that I think that'll come up in the regular or in the general session. But right now, I think it was important for not just our policies, but for our state to come together. I keep hearing how 
frustrated everyone is at how polarizing things are and how people aren't being heard. So in this moment, when people were in such crisis, I think it was important that we stood together. Yeah, I think that's really I think that's really well said. Like, it's a very good point. Like, I wish we could have done more. We are where we are. We have the government that we have. And I, I am glad that we were able to get something through. So, yeah, I, I mean, at the end of the day, it's great that we can do something for Eastern Kentucky in the wake of the huge tragedy. Yeah. yeah um, but like you said, once regular session goes in, there's a lot more that needs to be done. Great. All right. Well, that very quick special session came and went, and that was what we had to say about it. So um, we do have a few other items I wanted to talk about before we get into talking about your campaign specifically. Um, the first is a, a story that, you know, me and Jasmine have been tracking for, you know, two years at this point, And that's the Breonna Taylor killing here in Louisville. Um, and Jason Riley, who's a reporter at WDRB, he reported that the federal prosecutors have nearly 300,000 pages of evidence, as well as audio and video recording, personal text messages and emails from the officers that were charged federally um, in the Breonna Taylor case. So one of the things that um, Jasmine and I had talked about in a couple previous shows is as these um, you know, police officers had been arrested. Um, mm-hmm. Former police officers had been arrested. Uh, we wondered, like, what the case was. What evidence did they have? You know, and, and Jasmine said several times, it seems like they have something big. Uh, and, and this was it. So, I, you know, I don't know how closely you've been following this, but it seems like that this is going to be, um, you know, a pretty... A lot of stuff is going to come out in this trial, um, and I, and from me personally, I'm I'm really glad um, that that somebody is um, doing something about this because I mean it, it is very clear that like if, if Daniel Cameron had had the last uh, last say on this, um, it would it would be over, and it's very clear that there's a lot of stuff that went on that probably wasn't wasn't very legit, and that we're going to find out about very soon. Right. Which is why I think it's so interesting that like the checks and balances that need to happen, you know, um, so I'm glad that the federal government was able to to pull that stuff together because there clearly is going to be so much to come out. And it's just going to be I feel like we're going to continue to unravel or unpeel this onion um, and get down to the bottom of it. But, yeah, it doesn't make you feel great about about what happened here in Kentucky and the the way that that came together or didn't come together yeah makes you have a lot of questions yeah absolutely um and, mm-hmm. and we've been asking them and it is, i am really glad uh i mean the other thing was if, if if donald trump was still the president uh it's highly likely highly unlikely that the the uh, federal attorney general would have taken those steps to uh further this case and, and to bring justice to brianna taylor's family that's even a thing is frustrating that yeah. that we know that that probably wouldn't have happened that way. That's Absolutely. All right. Uh, another kind of uh, sad story, a very sad story, is that another person in uh, Louisville's jail died last week. And this is another story we've been tracking for quite a while. Um, that's a total of 10 people that have died in the Louisville jail since November, the second in about a month. There have been a lot of uh, reforms that have been brought to the, the, the jail. Um, you know, there were like seven or eight people that died like in the span of just a couple of weeks or months uh, uh, they got rid of the jail director. There were a lot of reforms put in pay- place, but now that there's been two additional deaths in the past month, so uh, there's clearly some real systemic issues going on in Louisville's jail. There's a lot of problems that need to be fixed. Um, yeah, according to the reporting, too, this was a death by suicide, so that's something else to know as well. I know Madison County has its own problems with the jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we <laughs> this is the two the two most uh, newsworthy jails in the whole state right. of Kentucky, uh, probably uh, in Madison yeah. and in Jefferson County. But yeah, it yeah, yeah t- tough story for sure. Um, as somebody who's not in this community, probably uh, I haven't been following that very closely, but it is a pretty significant tragedy. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're used to to like you said the the issues with with the jail. We are we're consistently facing overcrowding here, and doesn't seem like there's a, a 
overnight solution to it. So yeah, I understand that, but it, it's terribly sad and, and I hope that's something that, they, that we can figure out how to fix together. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, to me, it all goes back to over-incarceration and, and the fact yes. that our criminal codes continue to increase and we are always creating new felonies every single session um, that that cause the the jail to fill up with people um, and then our prisons to fill up with people and then have to put prisoners into the jails which causes all kinds of issues so that's a that's a state legislature problem and you know if we can get some good people elected to the state legislature maybe we can do something about it absolutely all right two other stories that are maybe a little happier so the the governor announced some of the ways that the ARP the uh, American Recovery Act AR, I don't know, ARP. I don't remember which one it is. Uh, the, I think it's the infrastructure bill. Um, the, the, uh, some of that funds, uh, some of those funds are going to be go toward, towards um, high speed internet access today. Um, that they announced this twenty million dollars for utility pole replacement. Um, that seemed kind of weird to me. Like I don't know. Like I I live in a city where telephone poles are all over the place, and they're all and I you know I don't know how often they need to be replaced. But in rural areas and places that are mm-hmm. underserved, this is a big big deal. Um, yes. The replaced poles have to be in those underserved areas, and the maximum grant is five thousand dollars per pole, which that's a lot of money. I didn't realize utility poles cost that much money, but it makes sense. I guess it's like the size of a tree, and it also has to hold, you know, yeah. like and yeah, the labor to to put it all up and the labor to do the wiring and all that yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and it is in more remote areas and you know it's a longer way to get to those places um you know and and there if you look back in history you know the rural electrification at the early i mean that's almost 100 years ago at this point but but that also included a ton of work to to get out to these more remote areas but it's really important to do so um glad to see that they're spending them spending the money to, to get it done Absolutely. That's mm. something we've been needing for a long time. And, and after uh, teaching on with through virtual through COVID that you you see how much even though you would think that there's there's more broadband than there is, but there's really not. There's so many spots, even in my county, uh, that's not super rural, uh, all the places. So, yeah. Lots of holes, lots of holes. Yeah, no, that's a very good point and, and probably something you understand a lot better better than us. I mean, there, there's kind of two vectors along it, right? There's like the ability to access it at all and then there's the ability to to to, to get access it. to it. Yeah. Yes. yeah, which there are some federal programs that are new, Another some other federal stuff that's great that's been happening where people are hopefully able to tap into to high-speed high internet access if it's available in your community. And yeah, with the investments, it hopefully will bring down the price. So that will be a little bit more easy to attain for, for all kinds of people. Right. All right. Last story here before we get to talking about your campaign a little bit. Um, ground was broken on a $2 billion electric vehicle plant in Bowling Green today. Um, today is Wednesday, um, August the 31st. Uh, and according to Governor Bashir, that's the second largest economic development project in the state's history. Um, so that's that's a big deal. And, you know, this the governor's put a bunch of effort behind trying to create, um, you know, a, an electric vehicle kind of hub here in Kentucky. And unlike some of the economic development stuff that's been happening in uh, the past few years, this one actually looks like ground is broken and is going to happen. So that's really, really good news for the folks down there in Bowling Green. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. That's exciting. Yeah, that's exciting. And something we need to think about the the ways to diversify how 
the types of jobs we have here and and what we can get. So I'm excited to see how that goes. Yeah, my dad has an electric vehicle uh, riding around in it is very. I mean, I drove I drove it once and it was kind of an adventure. It's just like driving a completely different type of car. Um, it feels so different. I rode in one once and and it's just a totally different vibe. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, maybe soon the folks in Bowling Green will be making enough of these cars that we'll have one uh, in the next little bit. Yeah, really good for the, for the climate for sure. All right, so that's all for that part of the show, but we did want to talk to Susan Sintra a little bit about her campaign. So, uh, you know, that's probably what you're excited to talk about, so let's talk about <laughs> it a little bit. So, you know, we, we mentioned in your introduction, um, mm-hmm. but you're a full-time teacher. You're the president of the Madison County KEA chapter, and in mm-hmm. talking to some other KEA folks around the state, they're like, we really like Susan. She actually does <laughs> things, so that's that means it's like a job that you're actually doing something with. Um, and now, you know, a mother to four children and you've added running for Senate. So why did you decide to do that? Why did you decide to add on top of all the other things that you're doing? Why did you decide to run for, for state Senate? Why not? No. <laughs> I don't have much else going on. No. Um, well, because I think I think for me, the biggest thing is is my passion. I, you know, I thought about I went through. Uh, emerged Kentucky a couple of years ago and um, had thought about running, hadn't planned on it until I retired really. And then the opportunity came up and I was approached about running. And in that moment, uh, as I was thinking of this, I was at school and uh, one of my former students came up to me. He was a senior last year and I had him as a sophomore. He's in an education pathway. And so he had been over at one of the elementary schools, um, you know, observing in one of those classes. He said, Miss Center, there was this little boy who was trying to get the teacher's attention and the teacher was doing something else and didn't hear him. And the kid was really soft spoken. So I went over to him and asked him what is was going on. And I was able to get the teacher's attention over to this kid for help. And he said, I used my voice to help someone else, just like you always taught us to do. And I was like, Ugh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm running for state senate because that was the moment where I realized that you know, if I have this opportunity and I can speak up for my kids and their families and our, my profession and all of this whole community, then, you know, you got to try. Absolutely. And that's a really cool story about being in that moment and it being on your mind and then having that that thing that really pushed you there. And, and you know, that's that's great. I am curious, though, um, as somebody who sat on the other side of a lot of the conversations about, like, who are we asking to run for office? Like, that idea had to be in your head in the first place so that you could hear that and then receive that as a message to run for office. So um, can you talk a little bit about the process of, like, being recruited to run, being asked to do it? Like, how how did those conversations happen? And, and I mean, clearly you were like, I'll think about it. Or probably at one point you were like, no. So how did how did it go from, from um, the start of that process to the end where you're actually declaring yourself as a candidate? Well, I was um, getting my daughter's COVID shot and um, got a phone call from uh, Senator Thomas. And he was like, "Could you?" I was like, I'm in the middle of the doctor's office. Can I call you back? So I called him back and he was like, we, we want you to run for this. And I, and it was a, a whole moment of, is this the time? I didn't know. So I ended up, you know, asking him to hold off. And I called um, some folks at the party and I called some other, my, like Tina Bojanowski, some of my representative friends and talked with them, especially with her because, you know, she she's said, a teacher. Yeah. yeah, she's a teacher. And so I wanted to see how that worked um, for her, how she was able to manage the whole thing. And, and you know, she, she, she also said something that, 
you know, we always tell our kids to stand up and do the things that that are hard. And oftentimes we don't run in places where we don't think we can abs- we can win or that it's a sure, sure bet. And she says, so what are we actually teaching them? So that stuck with me. And then I went to school the next day and had that conversation with my my student and and, and, and it was just solidified. So I called Senator Thomas back and I said, let's do it. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome to hear that those conversations work. Uh, that, that For me, at least, that's good to hear. Um, and it is that's a really cool thing to hear you say about Representative Bojanowski. I remember speaking to her when she was first running. And that part of Louisville at the time was like, well, we lose here all the time. Why would we even? And, and they basically gave up on her whenever they drew their districts again. They were like, we're not going to beat Tina Bojanowski. Let's take her Republican areas and give them to our uh, other people so that, you know, we're giving up on that area. So in just a couple of terms, it has totally flipped around. Totally flipped, so yes. let's let's talk a little bit about your district. Um, so you're running in Madison County and yes. Democrats in Madison County have faced. Uh, I, it's just depressing. It's not, not even I wouldn't say depressing. It's just really frustrating um, mm-hmm. that the watching watching Democrats run in, in, in Madison County since 2016. Um, mm-hmm. I have been really excited about many of the candidates who have run um, in, in that area, both for mm-hmm. House and Senate over the past couple of, of cycles. Um, and, and none of them have have come up with a victory. I mean, and I remember Morgan Eves losing by whatever it was, like 30 or 40, I think, or 32, one yeah, of those numbers. However yes, many I'm... it was. And just, you know, mm-hmm. that was really tough to take. Um, and, and, you know, um, the Republicans have managed to pull out victories uh, each time. So tell us a little bit why you think you have a good chance to win when when other people ha- have struggled to pull out victories here. That's a good question. Um, I think the biggest thing right now is that this district looks different. So after the redistricting, uh, the, di- the Senate district used to be Rockcastle County, Madison County, and Southern Fayette. We lost Rockcastle from... Um, from our district and we actually gained more space <clears throat> in Lexington. So the district looks a lot different. And I think people are, I, th- I think the biggest thing here is that people are ready for action and they're ready to see, <clears throat> hear a local, hear a voice uh, uh, that stands up for everybody, not just, you know, one demographic or one side. And I think people are really tired of polarizing politics and that's all you see in from coming from the state. So is it going to be easy? No. Um, is it something I'm going to continue to push and push until I get there? Yes, absolutely. We're not giving up on it. And it's it's I think that because this district looks different, we have a good shot. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree with that totally. Um, and, and it is a, a district that that Andy Bashir and, and Jacqueline Coleman actually carried in 2019. Did, yeah. So and I will say that we um, I myself and and a few other folks, teachers and some other community folks, we knocked on so many doors for that campaign. And when when Andy won that, when the governor won that district, uh, won our district, we were so excited. So it's possible. It's absolutely possible. Yeah, absolutely. I I, w- I would agree. So I, I you you mentioned Fayette County uh, and, and the chunk of your district that now is in Fayette County. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. So, you know, one of the things and I'm actually going to be speaking w- with Teresa Barton also on the, on this episode later on. And, and she's got oh. different areas of the state. Hers is kind of interesting because she has like land and river oh, counties. Yeah. And, and, and you kind of have 
have this like Madison County, which is this, you know, very distinctive county that has a very specific identity as Madison County. Uh, you know, you're from Richmond or you're from Berea. And then you have Lexington, which is also just a very specific place. Um, and, and it is like the politics, politics of it. You can really see once you cross that county line. The, the, the politics of the, the area change dramatically. And, and, you know, whenever you're talking about a place like Madison County, it is a little bit more like persuasion. You're talking to people and trying to convince them that they can vote for a Democrat. And then you cross the line, you go into Fayette County, it is like more turnout. We're like, hey, come vote for me. I'm the Democrat. So can you tell us a little bit of how it's been like connecting in the different parts of your district? What's it like campaigning in Fayette County versus in, in Madison County, especially since Madison County probably knows you a little better and you might have to introduce yourself a little bit in, in, in Fayette County. So how is that part been for you? Honestly, it's been so much fun. I've really enjoyed doing that. We, um, I've spent a lot of time in Fayette County at the doors, um, knocking and talking to so many different people who are like really excited about this. And they ask me questions. I mean, you know, I think, the, I think the prob- hardest thing with me is that the conversations of like, I can't cut them short. We're having 20 minute conversations at the door. So it's taken me a long time to get through through some stuff. But it's because people are excited. Um, a lot of people have, especially in Lexington, have questions about the district. They didn't realize a lot of them didn't realize that the district was even redrawn. So having those conversations about who who now their representatives are um, has been really, really good. And then in when in Madison County, um, that's you know, it's home. So those conversations are a lot different. I will say last night I went out, one of my former students who actually is a Republican, he um, took, he went out canvassing with me and we went out to Waco, which is a more rural part of the neighbor or of the County. And <clears throat> he's from there. And so he like wanted to show me around and we drove around and he, he's like, you got to take my truck. We're going to take my truck, Miss Centra. And <laughs> so we went in the truck and then he hopped out of the truck and he, there was a guy on his porch that we were going to go talk to. And he said, Hey buddy. And then he whispered to me, you got to say buddy out here, <laughs> 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 you know, which are all things that I already know, but it, it was, it was great. So those last night, we didn't get to a whole lot of houses, but we had so many conversations with some really awesome folks. And and I think it's just meeting the people and talking to them, hearing what's going on. People are excited about it. Mm-hmm. People on both sides there. Mm-hmm. Which is good. Absolutely. Um, and, and I I mean, I think you also might have answered that a little bit in, the, in that last uh, response. And the answer may just be like connections. Um, mm-hmm. But the question is about Madison County. And mm-hmm. I, I find it... a like very unique because it has like a couple of different zones, right? You have Richmond, which is the home of Eastern Kentucky university. It's a, it's a a fairly like normal small city in Kentucky. It's very similar to like a Paducah or a Henderson or an Ashland or a Pikeville or, or an Elizabethtown or, or, you know, that, that kind of city. And then you also have the the little enclave of Berea, which is, you know, the home of Berea college and is Mm -hmm. one of the most unique uh, areas in, in, in the whole, the whole state. Kentucky. And then besides those areas, you have these other exurban rural areas that are very, very Republican these days. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you have to tailor your campaign for all of these kind of different spaces. So talk to us a little bit, you know, in your home county, uh, when you're in Madison County, uh, about how you have worked in those different areas. What what message are you bringing to Berea? What message are you bringing to Richmond? Which one? What are you bringing to the rest of the county? And, and are there parts of the message, the Democratic message, message that work better in, in some of those areas versus others? Well, I honestly think that my 
my advantage here as a teacher is that I teach everybody. So everybody from those rural areas out in the county um, to, you know, downtown here outside of the school, all of those come into my classroom. So I get to meet all of these kids, people from all different areas. And so I know their families. I know uh, their struggles. I get I get this broader perspective of what everybody is dealing with. And that's been really nice. And as far as our messaging, I'm, I'm not tweaking anything. I think I am who I am and what we believe is where we are. And I think my the center core of this campaign is bringing people together. Um, I, it's not about Democrat or Republican for me. It's about us. And and it's because because I have that perspective of these kids in my classroom and what their families are going through and what it looks like um, from all varieties. Socioeconomic status is all over the place. Um, you know, we have all of that perspective. So I, I really use that and as um, the anchor to bring that. And everybody is facing similar issues across the county. So and Berea is home. I live in Richmond now, but I only just moved here a couple of years ago. I've lived in Berea my whole life. So it's really nice to be there and have that and then be here at, at, at Madison County. The whole place is home to me. So, yeah, I, I am just who I am. And I think people know that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is good to have uh, somebody running that has a strong identity inside of that county. Like that's what you want, I think, in a candidate. And it sounds like you you've got it. So one of the, the of the things that you do, you are a teacher and a leader in your union. And as far as I'm concerned, we need more of both of those things in the legislature. Um, you know, I, I'd like to hear from you about the skills that you've acquired, both in your job as a teacher and the experience that you've gained as a leader in the Madison County Education Association or Educators Association. What do you, what parts of the skills that you've learned in those jobs uh, do you think will be applicable if you're elected uh, to serve as a legislator in Frankfurt? I think the biggest thing is the perspective. Um, that's, again, key, where I get to see people from all different walks of life and I get to have those conversations. Um, that comes really from the classroom, learning and, and knowing how kids think and what they're dealing with. Addiction issues are problems that, even though my children may not be addicted, some of them are, but some they're all impacted by stuff outside, whether it's family. So I get that really cool perspective. And being in... The president of the of MCEA, I'll say I took on that role about a week before the sewer bill passed. Oh wow! So <laughs> talking about baptism by fire, that was uh, my first experience in Frankfurt. In that role was 11:30 at night when banging outside of the Senate doors when the they they voted on that. So since then, I've been running and been so many times. I know the ins and outs of every place in that capital. I found the secret stairwells. Um, <laughs> I've spent so much time there learning the process and how, how things work and seeing it from a different perspective. And now understanding what's possible when people can actually talk to each other and work together. Um, understanding that, I think Knowing knowing what's out there, knowing that perspective and understanding how this system uh, works is really going to be the key to to making things better in Frankfurt and for all of us. Yeah, I mean, all of those are, are, are really good points, really good answers. And, and I mean, I just think having somebody with the empathy of sitting in the chair, both as a union leader and as a teacher, is just mm -hmm. so important. So, uh, you know, that's not your place to say that, but I think it's my place to say that that's important as well. Thank you. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, and, and I am curious, you know, as a teacher, 
clearly are going to be passionate about the education system and, and the mm-hmm. state government's role in uh, in education. So just talk, talk to me a, a little bit about some of the top reforms that you think that are needed in state government to better support teachers and students. Well, first things, we have to deal with our crisis, our teacher shortage crisis. Um, we can't... W- First, we have to address, we have to talk about the elephant in the room and the fact that these attacks on public education are intentional and they are agenda driven. And that is to monetize and uh, capitalize off of education instead of making it public for everybody, which in and of itself is problematic to how our democracy works. That being said, we need to work on getting more teachers, working on pathways to to support our educators, talking about um, are an increase in in pay. That's one of the things I will say this in my county, when when we were kicked out of that 8% increase that everybody else got deservingly and needed, um, except maybe the state legislatures, they the legislators, they didn't need that. But <laughs> the rest of uh, the rest of the state did, but teachers didn't get that. And when I had to uh, pitch the the request to our school board for an increase here in doing that research to have to get, have the same buying power as we did 10 years ago, just in this county, 10 years ago, we would need a 17.8% increase. And we got a 3% increase and had to dip into our contingency fund to make that happen. We are clearly not funding our schools in a way that is sustainable um, for both our professionals, for our students, for the possibilities that this the future of this state needs. So figuring out that funding is is key. Working on um, pre-K, universal pre-K has to be a priority. And that's not just a priority for um, our for, for our kids. That's better for our families too. You know, if you we you and I know how much childcare cost. Um, if you could get a year of that back, <laughs> how great would that be? You know, it it frees up uh, working families and gives them more time, the ability to get back to work and have more money in their pocket, all with the added benefit of our kids getting an extra year of education in preparation for what's to come. So that's just a few. I'm also the, the chair of the Teacher Advisory Council for the Kentucky Department of Ed. And in that, um, we get to see a lot of the things that the department is planning and, and working on. And there's some great things happening there, especially around um, the accountability system and standardized testing and, and how, what that new, uh, what that could look like, what that could, that could be that benefits our kids in the best ways. So I'm excited about seeing that work come to fruition and how that can play out um, across the state. So lots of things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Josie Raymond, who's the leader on the universal pre-K movement in the city mm-hmm. of Louisville, especially, but has been r- working really hard in Frankfurt as well as a state legislator. She says it's the silverest bullet we have for all of our social problems. Um, absolutely. <laughs> and, and that's super true. And, and I love to hear what you say about funding. I mean, it all really just comes down to that in the end, especially around like how we pay our teachers and the fact that we're, we're falling so far behind and, you know, pensions are great as long as they're there. And, uh, uh, we need to make sure that they're funded continuously and that sort of stuff. I do think, you know, um, maybe the existing legislators don't deserve an 8% raise, but by increasing pay for legislators, it makes it more possible for people like teachers and people like laborers to actually join the legislature. That's true. Right now, it is super hard as you uh, hopefully will. I mean, maybe you'll learn <laughs> is uh, <laughs> it is to like, um, you know. Uh, get paid as a legislator and have that be enough to make ends meet with uh, um, at the amount of time that it requires. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's 
Yeah. All right. Okay. So um, uh, I did want to ask this question. As a teacher, education policy is obviously going to be super important to you, but um, there are lots of other issues that legislators work on. So just other issues that you're passionate about. What are some things um, that you expect to be a leader on or that you hope to champion if you make it to uh, Frankfurt outside of the education system? I think that one of the big issues, especially in this area, I mean, across the state for that matter, but especially where we are, are uh, is addiction. Addiction is a huge problem. And if we look at um, the components that feed into that problem, you're looking at uh, economic issues like uh, the inability to find good paying jobs, the inability of the mental health process part of that. You know, how are we do we have access to health care that is going to cover mental health care? Have we destigmatized that enough? I think looking at all of the venues that lead into this addiction issue, you mentioned earlier, um, I don't know if you mentioned it, but it made me think of the, the oh, the housing crisis. When we were talking about that. We have our in our district, there's such an increase of homelessness, um, which is not something that we've seen here. Um, but just in the last several months, we've had, I think, two two people that have passed from who were homeless in some of our encampments here. And, you know, that's really scary. So I don't, I don't want to see our, our district continue to go down that route. So focusing on how do we, how do we help people instead of criminalizing uh, so much stuff that causes, that leads back to the jail and back to the overcrowding issues. If we can focus on those issues that are feeding into this addiction crisis, then I think we can solve a lot of other problems that are circulating around that. Yeah, you know, it is amazing how many times we ask that question. It comes back to housing and healthcare. Uh, you didn't mention healthcare, but, you know, that is, those are the things that I think are, are so important right now. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, addiction also su- super important. Today is Overdose Awareness Day, so definitely want to mention yes. that as well. So, um, yeah, those are, those are very good answers. Big problems that need big answers. Uh, all right, Susan Sintra, if people are interested, maybe they're in Madison County, maybe they're in Fayette County and in your district and realize, oh, my gosh, that's the person who's running for Senate in my district. How can they learn about you a little bit more and join your campaign if that's something they want to do? Absolutely. We, um, my, my, web, my website is Susan Sintra, and my last name is C-I-N, T-R-A. So it's Susan Centra 4KY, F-O-R-K-Y.com. Go there. We have our upcoming events posted. Uh, We do a phone banking session every Tuesday nights that you can do from the comfort of your own home. We launch canvases from Lexington, Richmond, and Berea each Saturday from 10 until 12. Um, This week, I've got some students that are coming with me. So we're going to go. That'll be a five to seven one. Anyone wants to join that, they certainly can. Uh, But yeah, we are constantly doing things. We have have, uh, some meetups planned coming up shortly. So looking at that website is the key. I'm also on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter and, you know, all the social media things. Um, You can find me. All of that's linked on the website. So go to the website and look at that and find me that way. That's probably the easiest way. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to us about your campaign. Thank you for joining me earlier to talk about the news. I really appreciate it. And best of luck to you on the campaign trail. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. All right, that was great. Uh, now let's get to the conversation with Teresa Barton. Teresa Barton is the Democratic candidate in Senate District 20, which includes all of Franklin, Owen, and Carroll counties, as well as parts of Boone and Kenton counties. 
Miss Barton is from Frankfurt and has been elected twice as the judge executive of Franklin County. She's also served in the executive branch of Kentucky's government as the deputy secretary of justice in the Office of Drug Control Policy in the Fletcher administration and also has experience in the private sector working in the energy services industry. So, Teresa Barton, welcome to my old Kentucky podcast. Well, thank you, Robert. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we are so thrilled to be speaking with you. So you have a really long history of working in the public sector as both an elected official and working in the bureaucracy, which is, I mean, that's what you what you hope to have in a public servant. So, you know, but recently, you know, it's been a while since you've done this kind of work. So tell us a little bit about why you decided 2022 as the year to jump back in and, and run for state senate. Well, Robert, um, it was a tough decision, I will admit, because um, I have been out for 14 years. I had received a couple calls uh, just asking if I would even consider it because this district appeared that it would be it would suit me well. I am you know, pretty much a moderate when it comes to the politics. I'm a conservative when it comes to my fiscal affairs and you know how I handle fiscal court. I know a lot of folks in Franklin County, and we'll talk a little bit more, I'm sure, about that, about the, the makeup of the district, but um, very, very well known. This has been home for me since I was a baby. So, and the reason I think I really felt compelled to get in was we need someone from this area who understands, and I realize this goes all across the state, but who really understands state government, local government, and also will be there to to fight for those issues. Um, I know that I'll be in the minority when I'm elected, but um, that doesn't stop me. I've worked across party aisles uh, or, you know, bipartisan issues, policy since forever. Um, when I was judge executive, I didn't care what party you were when it came to water and sewer and your trash pickup or your dog's barking, whatever the case may be. It never crossed my mind. Um, so I work for people. I feel like as a public servant, I have a really a, a, just a, a public servant's heart to give. Um, I volunteered and do things my I've done things my entire life when it comes to that. So this is no different. Right. Uh, yeah. No. That that's those are good reasons. Uh, wanting to have a good government is a good reason to run for for office. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you, you mentioned it before, but your home is, is Franklin County, where you're well known. You were elected twice uh, as the judge executive. And Franklin County, for people that follow county level government in Kentucky, is one of the most well run counties and has been for a very long time. Um, you know, uh, this district, though, also includes several other areas, I- including some of northern Kentucky a- along the river, all the way up to Boone County and part of Kenton County. So uh, talk to us about how you've gone about campaigning in this very spread out district where, you know, it's about an hour or maybe even two to get to the, the northern reaches of it. Uh, how have you gone about trying to introduce yourself to such a, a spread out area? That's a really good question, because. We're all Kentuckians first. The way I look at it, you know, party is really not as much of an issue as we're Kentuckians. And I have been in every county. And in the intro, um, I added Gallatin. I want to make sure that you capture that, but I'm not sure you said it in the very beginning. Um, I listened for it and then I forgot to go back and I and definitely don't that. want to forget the folks of the good folks in oh, Gallatin oh, County. Yeah, absolutely. sorry about that. Yeah. Very no, no, they're very, very important. Um, and so it's Franklin Owen, Gallatin, Carroll. There are nine precincts in Boone and four in Kenton. And to me, it's you have your rural area. Um, which Franklin County, believe it or not, even though we're the you know the heart of the capital state government, um, we're still very rural, and those are my people. <laughs> you know, I was raised by a union tool and die maker. Mom was a waitress. I, we uh, always farmed. Um, 
we're kind of country folk at heart. So really the, the Owen, Gallatin and Carol are very much like how I was raised. Um, the Boone and Kenton, um, they're small cities. You have a dependency of Walton, you have a little bit of union there. Um, so they're to me just very salt of the earth kind of people. They're about raising their families. They want to make sure they're safe. They want to make sure that they have good roads, good infrastructure. And to me, that's a common thread through all this. When you look at particularly those river counties and, you know, I've traversed those roads now for, well, since I guess really more so since the primary was over, but somewhat before that, um, they have a lot of road issues. We really do need to jump on a lot of that you know, broken shoulder, no guardrails, that sort of thing. And I chaired transportation, um, the transportation advisory committee went off with the bluegrass ad. Um, I, was, I was county judge executive, but I was chair of the transportation committee. So I understand that structure. I know how to get things in the six year, the four year old, the four year plan <clears throat> and get those moving along. So a lot of the same issues truly just reach across every district, every county. And there's not a party attached to them. You know, my theme is Kentucky first. And that means that issues that we look at, it's going to put Kentuckians first. If it's Kentucky families, if it's Kentucky businesses, let's make sure that we're taking care of us, our own. That's what the taxes are for. You pay them so the government can um, respond in kind and, and do good things as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you're right. Like the, the we are all Kentuckians first. We all face a lot of the same issues. Rural Kentuckians, suburban Kentuckians, small city Kentuckians, uh, and, and even urban Kentuckians to the extent that Frankfurt is a city, uh, and, or like some of those folks up in uh, they may claim Cincinnati. Who knows? Uh, depends on how they how they feel on that particular day. Uh, certainly Kentuckians first. Um, I did want to talk to you though. You you whenever we talk about Kentuckians, one of the things that I've noticed in my travels throughout the state is to me it really feels like that there's kind of two kinds of kentuckians we're all kentuckians but there's two kinds and it's like the land kentuckians and the river kentuckians where you kind of have mm -hmm. a little bit of a cultural difference between um the folks whether you're in ashland or paducah uh or or louisville or or uh you know or kenton county and then you have like the folks that that uh, make their living from the land like out, out of lexington and 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 frankfurt Franklin County used to be in the seventh district and it was a much more kind of like land district where you had Anderson County, Woodford County, uh, places like that, that I, I feel are pretty culturally similar to Frankfurt. And, and now you've added uh, a lot more Gallatin. You mentioned Gallatin, but then also Carroll, which I think there was already in this district and then all the way up in Boone and Kenton. So, yeah. so, you know, um, I am kind of interested. Is that a cultural divide that you've noticed uh, as you've talked to these folks? I mean, you did already say, you know, we're all Kentuckians first. You talked a little bit about the issues that they're facing and how those might be different in, in those areas. But just in terms of introducing yourself, getting to know the people in those areas, uh, have you noticed that kind of a difference? And, 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 you know, is there a cultural divide and how have you bridged it if there is one? Um, there is somewhat. Um, you know, you have the, um, you know, the ultra conservative Christian evangelical in, in some areas of this district, um, but that's okay. That that's you know, like I said, we're we're all about you know treating people with respect and and doing good things. And I think my public service, not only from my official capacity where I was elected, um, but also the committees I served on. Um, you know, I chaired the the public um, the board of health, uh, so I worked in public health for a while from that aspect. So. Those things, I think, are important to everyone. We have so to me, I guess, Robert, we have more in common than we we have that is not. Um, 
And I consider myself a common sense candidate. I want to look for things that will help Kentuckians. Um, but there is a little bit of difference maybe in ideology. But I still think that we have common ground. And that's what I plan to work toward. You know, when I talk to folks, sometimes it'll be a one issue person. They will ask you one specific issue and that's all they want to know about. And they're going to determine if, in fact, they're going to vote for you based on that one issue. And once I realize that it's something that is on the fringe, the extreme on either side, I thank them for their time, <laughs> ask them for to cons you know, consider voting for me when they go into the booth. And then I just tell them to have a great day. Right. Because you know, there, there will be some folks who are what I would consider more on those extreme issues, and that's all that matters to them. They don't care how much you pay in taxes. They don't care if their children are educated. They don't. They, they, those, so those things don't seem to matter. But I do believe we have more in common than we do not. Mm -hmm. And um, but I've been to every festival, uh, state or not state fair, the county fairs, been to you know riverfront concerts, been to downtown summer concert series, um, events in Walton, and you know up in that area, the Boone County Fair. So. I have really talked to a lot of folks. There are 89,000 registered voters in this district, just so you'll know. Um, and we have a good 37,000 here in Franklin County. And what I'm finding is I'm reaching across the aisle here because I know these folks. They're my neighbors. They're people I've worked for, worked with, regardless of their party. When I serve them, I think I serve them well. We had a great staff, a wonderful fiscal court. Um, not a lot of controversy. You know, we worked hard for them. And I think regardless of party, they're, they're saying, hey, we'd love to have you represent us. The other counties, I'm still getting to know some folks. I, I am. Um, haven't had a lot of reason to know a lot of people up there. Um, but I have spent time there. I've tried to get to know them. I make sure they know that I'm accessible and I will be. You know, my plan is when I'm elected, I would like to have um, office hours of some sort if it's in the courthouse. Um, once a month, I would like to go up there and make sure that each of those counties know that I want to know what's going on with them. I mean, if it's a if it's a phone call to one of the state agencies, I want to do that for them. Local government, I'm very uh, familiar with the Department for Local Government. Dennis Keene is the commissioner, and I told him when I saw him a couple weeks ago that I'd probably be in his office frequently. Yeah. Secretary Gray, same thing. I said, if I'm elected, expect to see me. Yeah, the uh, the folks up in northern Kentucky are going to know Dennis Keene pretty well, for sure. Yeah. And the folks there in central Kentucky are certainly going to know Jim Gray as well, too. So if you're friends with them, uh, definitely a connection that they can make there. Um, one of the things that I think about when I think about places like Franklin County and Woodford County are, are just like, you know, you mentioned being a good fit for this district because you're ideologically moderate, but you care about having a good government, a well-run government uh, that's responded to the needs of the people and does the things that it's supposed to do. And when I think about some of those central Kentucky counties, that's the thing that I think about, like well-run places that do a really good job. And then as you move up in your district, um, you you do kind of see an ideological shift where the, the kind of like the ideas uh, about what government's supposed to do kind of change um, a, a little bit, maybe uh, in terms terms of just their politics. So I am kind of curious, you know, you've mentioned being able to, to recognize some of the issues um, that are different in, in, in some of these areas. And, and as somebody who is from one of these well-run, uh, you know, historically democratic central Kentucky counties, bringing your message uh, of good government, respondent government to uh, different areas. Uh, have you seen people respond to that message? Uh, what are some of the things you're hearing back as you talk about the things that you're passionate about? Have you gotten good reviews? Um, uh, what are the main things that you're hearing about 
issues that people care about um, w- when they do uh, connect with you? What, what are the things that you're hearing on, on the ground? Uh, how have you brought your message to the people? Well, you know, I'm, I'm really just talking about the issues that are important to them. You know, I ask them, you know, what is something that you think that we should be doing that we haven't been doing? What are the things that would be important to you as a taxpayer, as a constituent, as someone that I would represent? Um, so, you know, they're telling me things like roads. That seems to be uh, particularly, like I say, when you go north, <laughs> the farther the farther you go north, there's a lot of issues up there. Um, different exchanges that need to be continued uh, to, to be monitored along the way. Um, you know, just making sure that they get their fair share. Then when it comes time to for projects that are happening, I have a list from each county of projects that are important to them. And I will bird dog those for them. That's something that I'm not afraid to do. I I don't mind to make the call. I don't mind to sit in the office. I don't mind to find out what's the status, where is it, how can we get it moving? What do we need to do to, to get that done? And um, frankly, and I know that gets into something we talked briefly about before, but um, when I was with Governor Fletcher, it didn't matter. When he was my congressman, I was judge executive. I knew that he was at the time, that's when there were earmarks available. So you can remember, just go back to, if you will, and you, I know you're pretty young, but let's go back to the 90s, uh, late 90s. And um, when once I was elected in 98, and there were a few things that we needed here, sewer, water, some of the important things that you would think Franklin County would have a handle on, they did not. I went, I asked my congressman, I need help. He didn't care what party we were. Of course, I had no idea he was running for governor eventually, nor did he at the time, I'm sure. But, um, you know, I would ask them, what do I need to do to get that in the budget? What do I need to do to make sure that when it comes to our 201 plan plan that's locally, that we need to make sure we have sewer in these areas where they have broken sewer pipes there on package treatment plants, all these things. What do I need to do? They tell me what documents to get together. I work on those documents with my staff. We get those to them and we get funded. So. I know things are different, but the concept is the same. You identify the problem, you figure out how to get to where you're going, make sure you have the good description, you get it to the the folks who can make a difference and actually make the decision to fund them. And that's something I'm very good at. Um, I consider myself to be um, very detailed when it comes to a project that um, I'm going to bat for someone. I want to make sure that um, I fight for it. Mm -hmm. That's my job. Absolutely. No, that, that's that's what you hope for in a state senator. It's what you hope for, for in a judge executive. It's what you're looking for. It's what I'm looking for in a public servant, for sure. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned uh, how you've been able to get these things done uh, during the years that you served in office um, back back in the 90s and in the 2000s. Uh, and, and, you know, there we have had a lot of conversations with people who have served um, through that whole time. Um, and, and some one of the conversations that sticks out to my mind is we, we spoke to Congressman Yarmouth right before he announced his retirement and really lamented kind of the, the decline in congeniality kind of between the two parties. And that's certainly something that we've seen quite mm-hmm. a bit. So much is partisan these days. And that seems to run really counter to the message that you're trying to put forward of we just want to get things done. It doesn't matter that I'm a Democrat. It doesn't matter that you're a Republican. We can make it happen. And just so many people struggle with that in 2022. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, the realities of serving in, in, in this time and how it's different than 2008 and how you expect to bring, um, you know, uh, your history of good service that existed in that area to today. That is challenge. It, it really is because I feel like there are folks who are currently in office and I guess my opponent is one of them. You, know, you hate to talk trash about your opponent. However, um, 
the pol- the issues are polarizing. And the thing about it, I almost feel like sometimes they take pride in being uh, polarizing and, and trying to be extreme and bold and, you know, over the top. That serves no purpose. It serves no purpose. You're not serving anyone except yourself. And if you're in it for that reason, you're in it for the wrong reason. Something as simple as President Stivers. When I did work in the Fletcher administration, drug control policy, we were working on um, Recovery Kentucky. We were working on, at the time, methamphetamine was horrific. It was the scourge and it's still there, I know, but now we're fighting the opioids. So it didn't matter what party I was. Governor Fletcher didn't ask me to change, um, didn't care. He knew that I was there for the reason. And, I, and I'll back up in just a minute and kind of explain to you why I even decided to take that role. But um, President Stivers, current President Stivers was chair of judiciary. He sat in my office. We worked on the legislation. It was Senate Bill 63 to get it done. No one ever asked what party you were. It was about getting something accomplished. And, you know, for those who have to go get your cold medicine and now you have to sign and you're in the Casper system and all these things, that's probably not the most pleasant thing that you have to do. You don't love doing that, but we did it for a reason. And that was a precursor to to methamphetamine. Sat shoulder to shoulder with President Stivers now, you know, at the time chair. That's what it's about. It's not about these isolating polarizing issues that don't reach across party aisles for the goal of accomplishing something. Sure. You know, there may be some things that they want to do that are much farther, uh, you know, a little farther extreme. Uh, there are still some folks in the general assembly who are there and that sounds like from Northern Kentucky, there are going to be some more of them. <laughs> um, and I don't want to isolate anyone either, but on the other hand, let's talk about how we get to where we need to go to make things good for Kentucky. Again, if you are just this one issue candidate and you're just focused on those polarizing issues, I don't think you have any business being the General Assembly. You know, yeah, uh, I I think that that's a that's a strong statement. But I do think that, you know, it's a much better strong statement than saying, you know, if you don't believe in one of these uh, hot button issues, you, you don't belong in the General Assembly. I think much more of pe- people who believe in, in good government and, and, and bringing um, that type of service to Frankfurt. So um, you mentioned your time in the Fletcher administration. And I am kind of interested in this, you know, as a, a Democratic judge executive who clearly did work with uh, Governor Fletcher when he was in Congress. Uh, as uh, when back when there were earmarks, and I do remember that uh, that uh, <laughs> that um, you know you you took that job and and you became you went into the the uh, you know the justice cabinet uh, and wor- and worked on drug control policy um, and, and you know that was a, a time of very heated partisan uh, partisanship in in Frankfurt when uh, not only did the governor's office that you worked in and and Senator Stivers uh, and, and and you know not just that but also uh, Attorney General Stumbo who at the time was also like highly investigating. Uh, uh, Governor Fletcher all work together to pass something. So I, I am interested to hear, um, you know, about some of the stories uh, of what you did in that office. You already clearly told us about Senate Bill 63, um, which all of us that buy Sudafed are, are, are still affected by, but also a lot of people who um, deal with addiction every day or, or don't have to deal with addiction also, um, you know, experience every day. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what that job was like, why you took it and, and how that went for you? Sure. Thank you. Um, it's a story that I, it's always hard to tell the story and I'll get emotional when I tell you the story. 
Um, early on, when Governor Fletcher was elected, he did, um, his folks actually, I don't, he actually asked me, so I don't want to miss, misspeak, but ask if I wanted to join the administration. And I, I just didn't think it was the right time. There wasn't anything specific that I wanted to do. There wasn't anything that I felt that I could offer. I had work to do, you know, with county government. Fast forward to 2005, and um, they were putting together the Office of Drug Control Policy. And, uh, you know, it's, it, like I say, it's really hard to talk about it. And I know sometimes I'll, my, my voice will crack, and but I try to say that so I know that I'll try to be strong. But um, I lost a brother and it will be 33 years ago, September 24th. So it has birthday, but it's also it was 33 years ago. I lost my 32 year old brother to a drug related issue. So when I got the call, um, part of that discussion was we want to put in recovery centers. They weren't called Recovery Kentucky at the time. That was still kind of in the in the works, uh, working with Don Ball and Lynn Llewellyn. You know, again, that's working across party aisles. If Lynn Llewellyn isn't, you know, a D and, you know, Don Ball was very conservative chair of uh, the Kentucky Housing Corporation. Um, I don't know what is, but anyway, um, I, I gave it a lot of thought. I thought, it, you know, should I do that? Am I betraying my people, you know, who elected me? Uh, you know, am I leaving something behind that I, that I have unfinished work? And I felt that we had accomplished a lot. And I was at the end of that, getting near the end of that second term. And it was so intriguing to me because I know what my family went through. I know how we have, you know, we've suffered knowing, you know, we've lost someone that we, who we love. And I thought if I can be in that office and I can make a difference, it was drug task forces. We funded those to help keep those drugs off the street coming in from the cartels, coming in in shipments, uh, going across the borders here, 65, 75. Enhancing that, looking at education from a you know high school and, and the younger kids, making sure they understand the importance of saying no, of the importance of understanding what you're getting yourself into. But then it came to Recovery Kentucky. And that's really when the ball started rolling and things started happening. So when they asked me, I was interested in that. I gave it a lot of thought. It was important to me. I know how my parents have suffered. I know how my brother and I have suffered for his loss, all of his friends. I thought it was the right time to do it. And people can criticize me, you know, because, oh, you did this or you did that. And that's okay. That's their issue. That's not mine. I did what was right. And I think we've made a difference in the lives of many Kentuckians. Is there more work? Absolutely. But that was really what was behind a lot of it. And I haven't always told that story um, because it's hard. It's hard to talk about your family. It's hard to talk about something that affects you that deeply. But um, I did the right thing. I'm, I'm proud of it actually. Yeah. Um, and Governor Fletcher has endorsed me. Um, oh, wow. You know, I have uh, Governor um, Steve Bashir, Andy Bashir, and Governor Patton. They've all contributed or, or they've, they've, they've endorsed me. Wow. They know me. They know who I am. I think they know my servant's heart. And um, Governor Fletcher even came in for an event recently. So uh, to me, I think that's just, that explains a little bit about who I am and what I stand for. Mm -hmm. And that's just one issue. There's so many other issues that we need that we're facing in Kentucky that we need help with. Um, but that's the person that I'll be. 
No, I think that fits in very, very well with the story that you're already telling about what you care about is having the government do a good job for the people that it's supposed to be serving um, uh, beyond party and beyond anything else. Uh, and, and so many people have have a similar story. And thank you for sharing yours. I really appreciate it. You know, mine's about my cousin, but there's so many other people that have a similar story. Um, and, and it is it's just an ongoing problem that we have to have good people that are willing to deal with it in, in Frankfurt and, and the amount of partisanship and the difficulty that we have getting things done on this issue and every other one is one that we really have to overcome. It seems like you're a part of that solution for sure. Um, but I did want to ask you again uh, about another part of, of your career. Uh, you've talked about it a little bit, but but on the county level, you served as a judge executive. We talk to people on the show all the time on every level. Um, but, but Jasmine and me, uh, the, the other host of this show, we're from Louisville and, and we talk a lot about local government in, in cities, whether it's Louisville or Lexington or up, or, up in northern Kentucky. And, and we really don't talk to that many people who work on the county level. So tell us about when you you served um, as the judge executive in Franklin County and some of the stuff that you were able to do there, some of the stuff that you're proud of that you were able to accomplish in that office. Well, we had um, two natural disasters. We had floods. Um, so um, uh, being the, the product of a, a tornado, April 3rd, 1974, I was 12 years old. I, uh, you know, I uh, understand emergencies. Um, and so that's something that we were very involved in. I, first of all, I might add, I had the greatest staff ever. Um, I, I truly instilled the authority and the right of my managers to do their jobs. They were experts in what they did. They were in the right fields. If it was road department planning and zoning, fire department, whatever, I professionalized the fire department. I actually went out and sought someone to hire, installed a system to where you could be promoted. I invested in my employees because they were that important to me. With the taxpayer dollars that we were receiving, I wanted to make sure they were spent wisely. Um, We enhanced the road department. We installed, as I mentioned before, water lines. Uh, We had folks who lived within two miles of the capital in the county and they didn't even have water, running water, city water. I orchestrated um, a, a way to get that done uh, through our uh, one of our local uh, water districts. We had uh, some sewer issues in Chauville. Uh, that was a major project that we installed there. Um, I established the sanitation district, which they're still working on today to get those package treatment plants um, off those individual neighborhoods and onto the main system. Um, I can go on and on, Robert. I mean, we did so many things, and I can't take credit for it all. I really cannot. I had phenomenal staff, but we professionalized everything that we did. I wanted to make sure they felt that they were appreciated. Um, we did leadership training. I wanted to make sure they knew how to lead their staff. Uh, we had a second to none road department. They were truly amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I invested in every other department. While I don't oversee the sheriff's office, while I don't oversee the jail, they were still very important to me because not only they're county employees, they deserve to be recognized and also paid for, for their worth. So each year um, during my uh, first term, we would take a department and we would do a salary equity adjustment so I can make sure that they were paid what they should have been paid. Um, like I said, we just installed the health department tax, even though that was a tax we added, we did, we could, we could do the compensating rate and lower the taxes elsewhere, but that health department was important as well because of, well, you can see today with the pandemic, it certainly, um, thank goodness they're a taxing district so they could at least uh, take care of people as they needed to. Um, so I can, I can go on and on with the accomplishments because it was really amazing. Yeah, no, I, I always am really interested about county level government. I mean, and you hit right 
light just on it because there are so many county wide elected officials um, mm-hmm. and, and working with those folks. And, you know, you, if you're the judge executive, you're the person who's at the top of the chain. But the jailer and the sheriff is elected on their own and they have their own staffs. And maybe the management in those departments is completely different. But you're still one government and you're at the top and you got to figure out how to manage all of that. When you're, if you're in a city structure, it's a lot different where the police department yeah. is under the mayor's office and stuff like that. So, again, mm-hmm. uh, those are stories I'm really interested in. And, and I do think, too, it's so interesting. The problems in Kentucky are similar across the whole county. It often involves roads and water infrastructure. And you're seeing now how much federal money we're going to have to pump into different counties across the state. Um, and, and good management, uh, you know, 30 years ago uh, probably led to Franklin County not having as many needs as other places across the state. So definitely um, good work on, on your part. So, um, you know, you've talked a lot about uh, drug control policy. You've talked about uh, your, your uh, passion for good government. But if you make it to Frankfurt, are there other issues that you uh, see yourself as a champion for, stuff that you would like to, to push for uh, beyond those the, just those two? Well, I have a list here. Uh, let's see. I, wonder, I truly want to make sure that state government meets the basic needs of Kentucky families and communities. Because to me, you're paying your taxes, everyone's paying their taxes, and we have families that are struggling every day. And I want to make sure that we are in a place where we can help with that. I think quality public education is something extremely important. I have a grandson starting kindergarten or he just started kindergarten. I want to make sure that we fund what we need to when it comes to this early childhood development. I think that's extremely important just to the future of of the Commonwealth. I really do. Affordable health care. That is something that. I know that it's really hard for someone from the, you know, from the legislature to do a whole lot, but there are things that we can do to make sure that we position ourselves to where we can provide health care for those who need it. Um, you know, Rose, I mentioned that safe communities. That is so critical right now. It's so there's just so much happening in the world today and people are afraid they are, you know, they, some live in fear and they don't want to leave their homes. They're, there's just a lot going on. You know, it's post-pandemic, but it's also looking at the national economy. Things are happening there. And it's a scary time for people. So I hope that state government can step up, give some assurance to to the, the citizens of the Commonwealth that we're there to serve them. We're there to make sure that when policies are put in place, we're not taking care of these special interest groups and pandering, you know, to these one issue things that are happening from a lobbying standpoint let's make sure we take care of Kentucky families and communities, make sure communities are sound, then they have what they need. So those, like I said, I know that's all encompassing is a lot of things, but to me, it all builds to make sure that you ha- you have that security and that safety, health, safety, and welfare. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's our role. That's our responsibility. That's our obligation. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I've, done for years no and that the, the, that's that's a really good list i think um you know i've had a conversation with a lot of candidates this year uh the democrats that i talked to often mention healthcare and and housing and and you definitely mentioned healthcare. but i think also if it when I'm speaking to the electorate as a whole, uh, across the whole spectrum, public safety is often top on the list. Uh, and I think it's really good to have a Democrat that, that's not willing, that's not afraid to take that issue on head on. And that seems like something you're willing to do. Yeah, so, I, my son was an ABC agent. I was married.
married to a state trooper for years. Mm. I was in the dep- you know deputy secretary of the Justice Cabinet. I had state police, Kentucky vehicle enforcement. You know, my opponents already started some push poll about me defunding the police. <laughs> of that course. <laughs> Thing from what I would be doing. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the security of our state. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, for the folks that may be in Frankfurt, maybe in Northern Kentucky or live somewhere along US 127, if they're interested in learning more about you or how they can get involved in your campaign, tell us how we can do that. Okay. Um, Barton for Kentucky State Senate.com. Um, I'm on Facebook, easy to find. Barton for let's see it's Martin for Senate 20th is how it is on Facebook um reach out to me my email address I even give that to you I don't mind a bit it's Barton the number four Senate at gmail please send me a note send me a, a request send me information whatever you have I'm happy to respond all right well Teresa Barton this has been a great conversation thank you for speaking with us we really appreciate it thank you my pleasure appreciate the time All right, that's our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. You can find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MyOldKYPod. You can sign up for our occasional newsletter at tinyletter.com slash newsletter. You can uh, support us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.org. And uh, you know what? You you can just find us wherever you want to. Send us uh, a message, whatever. Uh, Thank you for listening. Jasmine will be back in a couple weeks.